0: Kid first watching black and white TV. Is there anyone else here who's ever seen black and white TV? Oh, good. <laughs> well, one of my favorite programs was a program called The Lone Ranger. Yeah, all right. So if you've never seen The Lone Ranger, it's a fictional character. He's an ex Texas Ranger who, with his Native American companion, Tonto, fights injustice in the American Old West. Tonto usually referred to the Lone Ranger as <laughs> Kimosabe, Right, remember that, Kemosabe? Which means something like trusted scout or trusted friend. Well, this, this program, it gave our uh, culture a lot of catchphrases that I still remember, especially one that my brother and I, we always look forward to right at the end of each episode, when departing on his white stallion named Silver, the Lone Ranger would you know, pull a horse up on the back two legs and he would shout, Hi-yo, silver, away! And as he gallops off into the sunset, someone offstage would always ask, Who was that masked man anyway? Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, the reason I mention this is I have a really dreadful joke about the Lone Ranger. <laughs> it reads this way. The Lone Ranger and Tonto were camping in the desert. After they got their tent set up, both men fell sound asleep. Some hours later, Tonto wakes the Lone Ranger and says, "Kimosabi, look toward the sky. What do you see? The Lone Ranger replies, I see millions of stars. And Tonto asks, what does that tell you? The Lone Ranger ponders this for a minute, and then he says, astronomically, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and possibly billions of planets. Time wise, it appears to be approximately a quarter after three in the morning. Theologically, the Lord is all powerful and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, it seems that tomorrow we're going to have a beautiful day. Why, Tonto? What does it tell you? Tonto fixes the Lone Ranger with a steely glare, and after about 10 seconds, He slowly shakes his head and he replies, it means that someone stole our tent. (laughs) I know, pretty dumb. (laughs) I don't know what happens when you guys get together at Christmas, but at our house when we get together, I'm known for dumb jokes, that's what I do. We're in the middle of a series titled uh, One Anothering. And each week we look at a different one another from Scripture. Last week it was stir up or provoke one another to love and good deeds. We've also considered welcome or accept one another, love one another, and so on. It probably goes without saying that to carry out these various one another's, we have to be in relationship with other followers of Christ. Seems pretty obvious. A couple weeks ago, in the growth group that Lynn and I are a part of, we had a conversation about friends and loved ones who used to be involved in a church body somewhere, but for various reasons, they no longer participate in regular church activities. I sometimes think of such believers as lone ranger Christians. They are attempting to live the Christian life somewhat isolated from a setting such as this. There are many dangers, though, associated with trying to live the Christian life as a lone ranger. For one, when one of the sheep separates from the flock that sheep becomes much easier prey for the enemy of our souls and secondly in the context of one anothering it becomes very difficult if not impossible to obey the various one another's found in scripture if you've chosen to be a lone ranger christian god is the relational god we see that in the trinity the very makeup of the trinity and one of the key ways that we are made in the image of God is in this very area of being designed to be in relationship with others. Sometimes we may be tempted to try to live as Lone Ranger Christians because rubbing shoulders with other Christians, it can be messy, it can even be painful sometimes. But these one another's only work in the nitty-gritty of close relationships with other believers in Jesus Christ. It's only in our working at relationships with other believers that god is glorified by our commitment to continually seek the unity in the body of christ it is only trying to work out our relationships with others in the body of christ in the real world that we grow in the christian life and it's only when we as followers commit to working out relationships with one another in the body of christ that an unbelieving world will stand up and take notice because there is something different about those followers of Jesus. They really do love each other. Well, this week we're going to do another one another. And it's encouraging one another. Our target text comes from 1 Thessalonians 5:11. You see it on the screen there. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. We can see from that passage that the Apostle Paul connects encouraging one another and building each other up. He connects them together. As with many of the other one another's that we've already looked at, Paul, his word to us to encourage one another is not made as a suggestion or as an option. It is stated as a command. It's in the imperative tense in the Greek. That simply means that encouraging each other is to be a normal part of our interaction with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, when we think about what it means to encourage someone, our first clue is found in the word encourage. If you remove the E-N at the front of the word, we're left with courage. When does someone need courage? When they are facing a battle when circumstances in their life are overwhelming and they're tempted to give up, when doubts fill their mind about something that they're trying to do and not sure that they can actually accomplish that. Interestingly, when we look at the Old Testament and the various ways that the word encourage is used there, it often does come up in the context of military conflicts. Israel has had many enemies over the centuries, and every soldier in every generation has needed to find courage for the battles that had to be fought. But when we turn to the New Testament, we find encourage used in a very different sense, not so much in the sense of needing courage in a battle or a conflict. And to get the full flavor of the New Testament use of encourage, we need to look at the unique construction of the word as it's found in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament. The Greek word that's almost always translated "encourage" in our New Testaments, in our Bibles, is the word parakaleo. Literally translated, it's a combination of two Greek words. It means to call one alongside or to be beside another. So, encourage to encourage someone is to come alongside them, to stand beside them. What a great picture, right? To encourage another person is to come alongside or stand next to them. We have some wonderful examples and illustrations in the New Testament of what it means to encourage another. Let's start with the Holy Spirit. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus gathers his 12 disciples together, and after he washes their feet, he says, one of you is going to uh, betray me. And then quickly after that, Judas leaves. That leaves Jesus with the other 11. The teaching that uh, Jesus gives that night from chapters 13 through 17 is only found in John's Gospel. It's often referred to as the uproom discourse. And in John 14, verses 25 through 26, Jesus says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, Whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The word translated counselor, and that translation on the screen, it's advocate, is from this passage is the word paraclete. Paraclete is the noun version of parakleo. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He is the encourager. He is the one who comes alongside each follower of Jesus Christ. And to get a sense of the wide range of meanings that Bible translators have attached to the word paraclete, in this translation you see it's advocate. In another translation it's counselor in the NIV. The King James translates it as comforter. The New American Standard translates it as as helper. And the New Living translates it here as advocate. All of those translations, which are accurate, combine to give us a more complete understanding of what the Holy Spirit's role is in the believer's life. If you ever wonder, what's the Holy Spirit doing in our lives? It's these words translated from the Greek word paraclete. The Holy Spirit comforts us. He counsels us. He helps us. He advocates for us. In summary, the Holy Spirit encourages us by counseling, comforting, helping, advocating, and strengthening us cool huh that's what the holy spirit is that's the name of the holy spirit he's the paraclete and we are to be paraclete we are to be encouragers we take our our cues from the holy spirit and maybe you're thinking great all i have to do to encourage another is be like the holy spirit in their life tough to do right pretty high bar but there are other illustrations and examples from Scripture that maybe are a little more down-to-earth for us and within our reach when it comes to what does it mean to encourage another. Let's look at the life of an encourager in Scripture. This is from Acts 4, 36 and 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. First, to avoid any confusion here, the name Barnabas is an Aramaic word. That's why it doesn't look like paraclete. But consider what this verse is telling us. Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement, was the nickname that the apostles chose to give this man, who, as we see in this verse, his birth name was Joseph. So he's born Joseph, and because of his character and what he does in the Among the apostles and other people, they've nicknamed him Barnabas, a word that means son of encouragement. I'm wondering, what kind of things did Barnabas do to earn such a nickname? Well, the first clue we get is in verse 37. But before I go there, when we give nicknames to other people, we do so well in our culture the most common way I think that you get a nickname is something about your physical attribute the way you look uh, like slim or blondie or hopalong, or in Mike Shabo's case Superman <laughs> I told Mike I was gonna pick on him so he's okay with that but wh- why did Barnabas get that nickname. What did he do? Look at verse 37 from that verse. He sold a field he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Was that piece of land back on the island of Cyprus? Was it somewhere around Jerusalem? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But I do know that when Pastor Bill read the total amount that had been committed through the Moving by Faith campaign. Some $960,000. I was very encouraged. I hope you were encouraged. The early church had set themselves a goal to help out all those in the Jerusalem church that were struggling financially. And Barnabas was a part of reaching that goal through the sale and donation of the proceeds from that field. And that encouraged the early church. So, thank you, church family. Thank you for encouraging each other by your participation in the Moving by Faith campaign. Because of everyone's generosity, the goal of a new church facility to serve our community is that much closer to reality. So here's the first point in your notes. We come alongside others by simply joining them. That's what Barnabas did. That's what many in our church family did in the Moving by Faith campaign. Barnabas, there's a campaign, if you will, in the early church of Jerusalem. They want to help those who are financially strapped. He joins in. He sells his field and participates, gives the money. Many of you did much the same thing. Whether you had to sell a piece of property or not, I don't know, but you encouraged each other by joining in on what the goal set set by the church. It seems such a simple thing, joining in. A few weeks ago, I was trying to put up a chimney in my shop My shop is about 19 feet from the floor to the roof inside. And I thought about doing that project from a ladder, but Linda knows that ladders and I have a shaky history together, so she said I shouldn't do that. And She suggested I do something fairly rare for me, actually call someone and ask for help. How many of you guys are, that's your last course? Yeah, that's right. We just don't do that. Well, (laughs) it was either that or break my neck. So I called a friend. He brought over some scaffolding. We got the job job done easily and pretty safely. And as pleased as I was to complete the project, the best part was when we were all done, I was so encouraged by my friend, willing to take time from his busy life and help me, even on a simple project. Don't underestimate how encouraging to others you might be by just showing up by just being willing to join them in whatever they're doing. So this is a busy time of year, right? Everybody's doing something this time of year. Think, ask yourself this question. Who can you encourage this week by joining them in something they're doing? It's really that simple. And we encourage each other when we do that. Who could you help? Who could you encourage this week by just saying, hey, you're going to do that thing? Can I come and do it with you? I guarantee you, you will will encourage them by doing that. Well, joining in wasn't the only reason that Joseph got the nickname Son of Encouragement. Before the great apostle Paul became the most prolific writer in the New Testament, he went by the name of Saul. As you know, when we first meet Saul in the scriptures, he's not a Christian, to say the least. He's an outspoken opponent of Jesus Christ. He's hunting down Christians to persecute them. He stands by holding cloaks while they stone Stephen to death. He's an enemy of Jesus Christ and the cause of Christ. That's the Saul we first meet in scriptures. As the scriptures go on, in the book of Acts, we learn in chapter 9 that Saul meets the Lord in a very dramatic fashion on the road to Damascus. Saul confesses the Lord as Savior and immediately starts preaching about Jesus. People are confounded. They're wondering, is this some kind of strange ploy, some elaborate scheme on the part of Saul to persecute more Christians? Is he just pretending to be a follower of Jesus Christ so he can put more Christians to death? Well, Saul comes to Jerusalem after his conversion, and it seems the believers there are very wary of getting too close to him, all except Barnabas. You see it on the screen there, Acts 9, 26 and 27. When he, that's Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. The second point of your notes, we come alongside others by believing in them. Believing in them when it seemed that no one else was willing to give Saul the benefit of the doubt, up steps Barnabas. He comes alongside Saul, and he makes the case that Saul's conversion to Jesus Christ is the real deal. It was genuine. Saul was become arguably the greatest missionary and the greatest theologian the church has ever known. And how did Saul get his start? By one person, Barnabas, believing in him. Last week, Pastor Bill talked about being willing to do things that are out of our comfort zone. Pretty much any time that we get involved in a ministry of the church that we've never done before, we're out of our comfort zone. That's actually a very good place to be. And for anyone who steps up, and takes on a responsibility in the church, the rest of us have a golden opportunity to encourage them. A simple thank you for serving in the area they're serving. Or you're doing a great job with the kids. Or I'm so glad you're here for my child. Coming alongside your brothers and sisters who are serving here builds up the body of Christ in this church. It builds up the unity of the church. I believe it draws all of us closer to Christ simply by just telling them that we believe in them, that we appreciate them, that we are 100% behind them. So my encouragement to you is believe in someone this week and tell them. You will greatly encourage them by doing so. You may have a family member that's launched off onto some new venture in their life And you're pretty skeptical that it's ever going to work. But you could greatly encourage them by just coming alongside, hearing their heart, their passion, whatever whatever it is that's calling them to do that new, maybe risky, maybe stupid thing in their life. And you can encourage them by believing in them. If you recall, one of the translations of paraclete, the word that is translated for the Holy Spirit in scripture, is counselor. Counselor. Come alongside. Now that, that great picture of the word, one who come alongside another. Think about the, the ones we've already talked about. You come alongside one else, someone else, you encourage them by joining in what they're doing. You come alongside someone else, you encourage them by believing in, what, in them and uh, supporting them in that. Well, on this third one, We come alongside another by speaking truth to them. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. The Holy Spirit speaks truth to us. But look at this passage from Ephesians 4. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him... Jesus Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That idea of encouraging one another and building each other up, we find that in this passage in Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth in love. Well, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit counsels us, the Holy Spirit counsels us from the truth of God. So speaking the truth in love has two parts. First, The first part is knowing the truth to be able to speak it, and that means knowing the scriptures. The second part is sharing the truth of God's word with love as our motive. Speaking the truth to another brother or sister in Christ is both a matter of what we say, God's truth, and why we say it, because we truly love them and desire the very best for them. A week ago, I officiated at the funeral of a man who was very special to me. His name was Paul, and I first came to know Paul when he recruited Linda and I to go into village missions. Paul was not only a Barnabas to me, he believed in me when I was sure God had made a mistake calling me to serve in pastoral ministry. But every time that I talked to Paul, he had a way of speaking the truth in love to me. I didn't realize it for a long time, what was happening, but every time I came away from a conversation with this man, I was encouraged, and I, you know, he was my friend. But it was almost more than that, and it it took me a while to think about why I was so encouraged every time I talked to Paul. Because I've talked to a lot of believers over the years, but I've never known anyone who sprinkled God's word throughout their conversation the way Paul did. He just he would begin talking and then he would quote a passage from Proverbs or he would quote something from Psalms or he would mention a a verse or a line from one of the New Testaments. And enough that I was familiar with all of them, but it just kind of became part of the way that he talked. If I asked him for counsel, he would come back with a quote from Scripture that just seemed to fit the exact circumstance I was concerned about. And even when he wasn't giving me counsel, his words just bubbled over with references to passages in the Bible that not only blessed him, but they ended up blessing me as well. He spoke the truth, God's truth to me in love, more than anyone I've ever known. And uh, it was kind of bittersweet doing this funeral a week ago. I mean, just like with Kathy Laddick, I know he's with the Lord, but I'm, I'm going to miss that speaking the truth in love to me. I really am going to miss that. How do we do that with one another? Sometimes speaking the truth in love to a fellow believer is a matter of just encouraging them to hang in there and keep trusting the Lord. For example, these are not up on the overhead, but Philippians 1, 6, if you don't know it, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, that's a word of encouragement. You come to someone, they're struggling, you know they love the Lord, and we just say, you know, hang in there. God has started a work in you, and He's going to complete it. Trust the Lord. He's faithful in that. Wow, you've just spoken truth and love to someone, and that will encourage them. Guaranteed that will encourage them. But sometimes speaking the truth and love means saying hard things that we don't want to hear, and we probably don't want to say them either. For example, from Colossians 3. You have a friend who's feeling bitter about somebody. Happens a lot when we get together with families, right? Colossians 3.13, Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Not an easy word to speak, but God's truth spoken in love. And trust the word of God to do its perfect work in that person's life. His word his word has done that work in our lives many, many times. It will do that same work in another's life. We just need to listen to the Holy Spirit and speak those words. Whenever we speak the truth and love to another, we encourage them. We build them up, we bless them. They are someone who, every time we talk to them, they will have opportunity to hear God's word. So it's encouraging. It's encouraging to hear someone speak God's truth to you. It's encouraging when you speak God's truth to another. And it's something all of us can do. You know Scripture. You may not think that you know Scripture, but you do. You've read God's Word. You hear it. You sing it. We can encourage each other, speaking the truth in love to them. Lastly, we come alongside each other by praying for them. We find this in Romans 15, 30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Uh, the word urge in that verse is actually the word encourage. It's sometimes translated urge, but it's our word parakleo. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggles, how? How? by praying to God for me. I know that in this church many of us pray for one another. My point here is that occasionally we need to let the ones we're praying for know. Let them know, tell them that we are coming before the throne of God's grace on their behalf. We do so not to boast or getting a a pat on the back. We do that to encourage them, to let them know that we are standing with them whatever the prayer request might be. A couple of weeks ago, I needed to write a very difficult letter to a brother in the Lord. He lives far away. Phones weren't a way to communicate. I couldn't see him physically, so it was a letter. I had to write a letter. This friend, this brother in the Lord, was making some very poor choices in his life, and he was in denial about everything. Well, <clears throat> writing a letter like that is not in my comfort zone at all. I tend to shy away from confronting people. So I, was, I, knew I, I, needed, I knew I needed to write the letter. The Lord just kept you know, on me about that. But I was dragging my free, feet. I was Any excuse to do something else, there's there always something else to do when you don't want to do something, right? So I found other things to do. In confidence, I had shared what was going on with a friend. And several days later, I ran into that same friend, and he asked me how the letter was going and assured me that he was praying for me. Well, up until that short conversation, I'd only thought about what to say in the letter, but I hadn't actually taken pen to paper to write anything down. But after that simple encouragement, that encouragement that someone was praying for me about that issue of writing that tough letter, I was able to sit down and get the letter done. I'm so grateful. That person doesn't even know that. But that simple word of encouragement to say to me, you know, I've been praying for you about this thing. How's it going? That that made it possible for me to get a difficult task done. God works through the prayers of his children. And one of the most encouraging things that you or I can do for a brother or sister in Christ is to pray. Pray for whatever is on their heart. Sometimes that will mean stopping right at that moment, right when they share whatever that prayer request is. If you can do it right then, that's the time. Other times it will be prayer over the long haul, so to speak writing that prayer request down, coming back to it as often as it takes, and coming back to your friend and saying, hey, I've been praying about this situation. How's that going? That encourages each other. You know, as I've been thinking about encouraging one another in the various ways we talked about here today, I realize, (laughs) this was a great thing about studying this passage and reading, thinking through Barnabas, I realize that I'm encouraged almost daily by Linda, first of all, and by you. Linda joins me in many things that I do, and we do those things together, joining in. She believes in me. When I doubt myself, she believes in me. She loves me enough to speak the truth to me when the Holy Spirit prompts her to do so, and I know she prays for me every day. I'm so blessed to be married to an encourager. Many of you do those things for one another you encourage each other in all those ways and others. Maybe you're an encourager and you didn't even know it. You didn't realize it. All of us have the opportunity to come alongside a brother or sister in Christ and join them in what they're doing. How simple is that? Just join them. Is someone going to do some baking? Is someone going to do some decorating? I mean, this time of year, there's so many things going on. It's pretty easy to just find someone to just say, hey, I'd like to do that with you. You will encourage them. We have an opportunity to just believe in others. We'll get together with family. You probably got together with family this last week and over the holidays and hear what's going on in other people's lives. Believe in them. Come alongside them. Stand next to them. Literally and and spiritually. And be interested in what they're doing. Pray for them. And when God prompts you, speak truth to them. Speak from His Word. A little nine year old boy got tired of practicing the piano. His mother heard that the great Paderewski was coming into town to do a concert, a special concert. So mom bought two tickets, one for herself and one for her little boy, thinking, if if I bring my son to this great pianist and he hears what the piano can do, well, maybe he'll want to continue on in his lessons. So she drags him along to the auditorium, sits him down in his little suit, gets dressed up to go to the concert, and then she turns and begins to visit with some friends who are sitting nearby. Little boy's already bored, and he looks up and On the stage, there's this giant ebony black Steinway concert grand piano, sitting there all by itself on the stage. The lid on the keyboard is lifted up, and there's a leather bench right in front of the piano. The little boy looks at the piano, he pops his knuckles, and he says to himself, I'd really like to play that piano. So he slips down the aisle, walks across the front up the steps, sits down at the piano, and he starts playing chopsticks. Dun, 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 dun. Well, the people down front see what's going on and they get upset. Who who's that? Quit that! Whose kid is that anyway? Where's his mother? And of course, mom looks up, sees what's happening, and she's beyond embarrassed beyond words. And the great Paderewski, who was backstage, heard what was going on. So, without the boy seeing him, Paderewski slips out on the stage and comes behind the little boy, and he reaches around him, and with both hands begins to an improvised, beautiful melody to go with chopsticks. He says to the boys as they're playing together in the concert hall, keep playing. Don't quit. Don't stop. You're doing great. Who would the Lord have you encourage today, this week? Who would the Lord have you build up by joining them, by believing in them, by speaking the truth to them, by praying for them. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we learn from Barnabas, a son of encouragement, that encouragement is something that, in a way, it just kind of comes naturally. We just didn't really realize that it does. And Father, we're surrounded by people in our family and our friends, our church family here. Lord, encouragement is such an easy thing to give, and it just blesses both the receiver and the giver. Father, I just pray at this Christmas season that we would have our antenna up, we would be aware of what's going on in the lives of people around us and join them and believe in them and speak truth to them and pray for them, Lord. Because, Father, we've been encouraged as you have loved us and given everything to us. So, Lord, let us come alongside another and encourage them in the same way. We pray in your son's name. Amen.